back. Hey, Brett, how's it going this week? Good, Ange. How are you? Pretty good. We've been pretty busy packing and getting ready for our big move. Yeah, we tend to move, you know, every couple of years, maybe every six months. You know, we wing it. You know, it's really good for uh, podcast research that way. That's right. Yeah, we're testing the rental markets across the country. We're testing housing markets. You know. We're learning a lot. Um, so yeah, we've been busy with that. We're, we're definitely going to release two episodes here back to back, but then we might have a little bit of a break before the 100th episode, which will really just build some suspension for who wins our $100 giveaway. Or suspense, yeah, either way. Yeah, you know, one of those. One of those words that was supposed to come out of my mouth. Um, all right, well, are you? have you been studying for your trivia question, or have you been so busy with the move that... I'm just so busy all the time. Yeah, you know, so I, I I figured I'd give you a good excuse for why you don't get some of these right. Um, so we finally are going to do an episode more about international, which we have been promising forever. Um, 96 episodes or whatever. But I figured I'd sneak it in before the 100th, so at least we made that cut. Um, so out of three countries, well... One's a continent, but I'm lumping, like, EU together. Okay. Um, because it was easiest to find stats for the EU. Um, so sorry, UK, because with the Brexit, this may or may not apply to you anymore. Um, so between the EU, the US, and Australia, who, what is the country that has the lowest savings rate? So where are people saving the least amount of money? I don't know. According to every article I've seen in the last year, it's the US's retirement, but... No, so in fact, and this isn't just retirement, so maybe that would change your answer. This is all savings, like people saving money. All right, well, you already said no, so I'm going to pick Europe instead. Yeah, so 29% of people in Europe have no savings. Oh, wow. Compared to 16% of people in the U.S. with no savings. Wow. Wow, they really make it sound like it's a lot more than that, according to news articles here. Well, I think where here it's like, um, a lot of times you hear the statistics of like more than you know, 50% of people couldn't come up with $500 in the event of an emergency. So our savings yeah. aren't mighty, but they are there. <laughs> We've um, got a couple of dollars. We have more than $1. At least a bank account. Um, yeah. And in Australia, 23% of people have no savings. So they're kind of in the middle. Okay. Um, but kind of going back to your point, I actually wanted to take this episode to talk about retirement in these three different locations and what that looks like. Um, Because I think we've talked a lot about, you know, saving for the future, potentially being able to retire early. I mean, the standard retirement age in the U.S., I believe, has moved um, from 65 to like 67 now. It's like the average retirement age. It's going in the wrong direction. And yeah, right. Well, people are living longer, right? Um, But you can tap into, you know, your IRAs and stuff at 59 and a half. So that's kind of where people start really thinking about retirement is in the early 60s. Um, But, you know, we've talked about on this podcast a lot, like, what if you want to retire when you're 55 or when you're 40 or, you know, wherever you fall on that spectrum, what does that look like? And um, I've seen a lot of kind of comments online saying, well, early retirement is only possible in the United States, and it's not possible anywhere else. And I think what's really cool about the internet is I know that's not true, because <laughs> I have seen people in many different countries decide that they are going to retire earlier and do it. Um, it doesn't mean it's easy. 
And obviously, you know, if you're in a country that has pensions, which we're going to really dive into this later in the episode, um, maybe it's not as easy for you because that structure is just set up so differently, but it's definitely possible. So um, I will say in the U.S., we probably have it the easiest, which I think will surprise a lot of people. Yeah, Um, I feel like everybody's like working to the grave here. Yeah, well, because, you know, typically our salaries are a little bit higher than what we would get paid in other countries. Our taxes are a little bit lower, which what that really means is it's up to us how to allocate our money. And I think that's the real problem, right? A lot of people do not allocate it correctly. Right. But we could be and we should be. Um, We're really know. distracted by all the shiny objects that are for sale in the U.S. So. We are. We really are. I, you know, we probably have the biggest like waste cons- like of consumer goods in, mm-hmm. in America. Um, I know, you know, for us, we've started buying more things used or making sure we, you know, upcycle our old stuff and it goes on to live beyond the life it had with us. And um, my God, there's so much out there. Like you hop on your local Craigslist or you go to your local, you know, thrift store and you're just like, wow, this is a lot of almost brand new stuff just sitting here Mm -hmm. um so you know anyways so um i i wanted to start this kind of talking about tax rates because i think that's a big one um we do pay less here in the u.s in taxes than most other countries do now obviously this varies drastically by income in the u.s and i think in most other countries if this varies by income but i just did if you are a single person making the median income in your country, whatever that is, what would your income tax be? So this includes like, uh, you know, in the US, income tax is a little bit different because it's federal, state, and local, um, depending on if your city has tax or not. So this can vary a lot too. Again, I'm just trying to look at averages. So um, the US, you could obviously do a deeper dive and look at state-specific um, so, the, you know, just wanted to point out that caveat. Sure, just fudging the numbers. I see how it is. Yeah. Well, you know, if you live in, you know, Michigan compared to <clears throat> Florida, which, you know, we've done the research, there's no state income tax here. You know, that changes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, anyways, just wanted to point that out. But the number one country with the highest tax rate, do you want to guess? It'll be like trivia part two. Number one country globally with the highest tax rate? Yeah. Uh, Sweden? Belgium. Oh, it's close. So Belgium, we've been there. Uh, delicious fries and waffles. Frites. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, chocolate. And chocolate. So. Um, and uh, uh, fish and chips. Yeah, the best fish, best and, fish chips and chips we've, we've ever, ever had. had. Um, so yeah, Belgium, you got a lot going for you, but you have the highest tax rate of forty-two percent, which wow. is a lot, wow, yeah. a lot of money. Um, <clears throat> all right, number two, Germany. We've also been there. God bless you. We love you, too. Also um, great with all the schnitzel. And really good good schnitzel, good pizza. Oh, yeah. Pizza. Pizza is fantastic. <laughs> uh, so super good. Um, love that place. 39.7% in Taxes. So, mm-hmm. you know, shaving a couple percent off. Um, then the next one, a place that I want to go to really bad, but we have not been there. Denmark. All right. Uh, 36%. So I really do want to go to Denmark, though. Here it's a great place. Um, the next one, we've also been to this country. You know, we're just doing our research, really. Uh, Austria, 34.9%. Best gluten-free cheesecake I've ever had. If you ever find yourself in Vienna, go to the Alligator Cafe. Alligator, yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, it's fantastic. And they have, like, this adorable dog that just, like, lives in the in the little cafe. Yeah. 
And by adorable dog, you're probably thinking of a small dog. No, it's this massive He's the size of monster. a Yeah, he's the size of a bus. <laughs> and he takes himself for walks around the block. So it's just the best. Um, and then this last country gets a very special shout out because one of my best friends lives there. So do you want to guess? Because you'll get this one. Hungary. Yeah. Why wasn't um, that my trivia question? 34.5% in taxes in Hungary. Um, and so since we've talked about food in all these other countries, if you go to Hungary, make sure you eat some langos and kritishkalach. Langos, so, man. It's the best. Um, I know if Timmy's listening, she probably is cringing at how Kur. I just pronounced it's Kur. 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 So, sorry, Timmy. Um, and... Okay, so then lastly, here in the U.S., we pay a tax rate of 25.6%. So as you can see, you know, 10 to 17% less than some of the other ones on this list. Quite a big spread, right? Definitely. Um, But we also typically pay a little bit higher in property taxes is what I generally found, Um, which makes sense because property taxes across the U.S. I feel like are high and going up. Um, even living in Michigan, we paid high property taxes. Florida, they're high. Chicago, they're high. Um, I think Colorado still has some of the lower property taxes, but, you know, it's trending upwards. So I wanted to chat about this because for 10 to 15%, what do these other countries have that we don't have? Actually, kind of a lot. Okay. Um, do you want to guess? Some of the, uh, the, the big one probably is universal healthcare. Yeah, healthcare is a big one. Um, so I mean, easily ten to fifteen percent of your income. If you're, you know, the median income in the U.S. as we've mentioned before is right around fifty thousand dollars. It could be very easy to spend five thousand dollars a year on healthcare alone or more. Um, if you are a household of four, it is not uncommon that your premium could be a thousand dollars a month just to have health insurance. And then you're looking at 12000 a year, and you would be better off living in one of these other countries paying 10% of your income only. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so healthcare is huge. It is a disaster here in the U.S., and it is something that a lot of people are very terrified to retire before a certain point in the U.S. because they want to wait until Medicare turns on. Mm-hmm. Um, because Medicare, for those of you in other countries, is our form of you know, state-sponsored healthcare, but we can only get it when we reach a certain age. Um, Before then, it would be up to us to pay for. And as I mentioned, especially as you get older, even for a couple, you could be paying $1,000 a month for health insurance. I think when I looked it up recently for Brett and I, if we weren't on an employee healthcare program, which is how most of us in the U.S. can afford our health insurance because our employees pay for the majority of it, we would be paying, I think, $300 a month for a high deductible um, health plan, which means um, deductibles, for those of you on universal healthcare who have no idea what I'm talking about, a deductible is how much we have to pay before our insurance turns on. Um, So when we have a high deductible plan, we might have to pay upwards of $10,000 a year in medical expenses before our health insurance would start paying anything. Right. So it really only covers like a catastrophic situation um, or like, you know, long-term medical problem or something throughout the year. It's not going to cover, you know, getting sick and having to go to the doctor or whatever. It'll cover preventative things. That's outside of the deductible structure, right? Mm -hmm. So preventative health care is all covered by your insurance. But if any actual issue happens, then... Yeah, you're on the hook for whatever that deductible is. Right. And I will say the Affordable Care Act has been huge in helping us rein these premium prices in for people at incomes who really cannot afford them um, because it's, it's all income based now. So, you know, you, you'll pay less in premium if you make less money. 
But there's a lot of people aren't relying on that or aren't banking on that because there's been a huge kind of attack against the Affordable Care Act here in America. So um, with our health care so much up in the air, it, it's a huge question mark for us. And it's definitely something that, um, from what I understand, people in other countries don't really have to worry about. They just have health care and they can go to the doctor and they can get the medicine they need. And it's just taken care of. Yeah. So. Sounds like a beautiful thing. Can't relate. <laughs> right. I mean, the the one argument against it that I've heard before is like the quality of healthcare is better in the U.S. And I'm like, eh, it really depends on where you go. That is a wide spectrum. Yeah. And not everywhere is created equal here. Cur- that's I, very true. I know a lot of people that have gone to Canada because their procedural, you know, the, the way that they operate is better. Uh, some of the procedures are a little bit more refined and defined and a little bit more structured and better. Uh, quality so right that's just not i just don't think that's true across the board yeah and i think that would be a hard blanket statement to make because i'm sure health care you know varies drastically even within the eu countries mm-hmm. um, so you know that would be a tough one and i i also know kind of the reverse of that like a lot of times for prescriptions people will order them from canada in the u.s because it, it for the same exact drug it is just cheaper to get it in Canada than it is here because pharmaceutical companies can just charge whatever the hell they want here. Yeah, we have, again, that's just other parts of our healthcare system that are like super jacked up, which every single part of it is pretty jacked up. Yeah, so yeah, that's a huge one, anyways. Um, don't have, we could probably do a whole episode talking about healthcare. I think we've done more on that in the past, but that's a, that's a huge difference and why our tax rates are so much lower. Um, the next one on the list is. Um, that I came up with that's different is kind of relating to healthcare, but a lot of times when you have a baby in other countries, you are given a much longer maternity period. And a lot of times this is actually covered um, by the by your taxes that you pay. Um, it's, or, or paternity. Or paternity, yeah. Which yep. is becoming more normal now. And beyond that, um, when it's time for your kid to go to daycare, it is it can be either free or very inexpensive. Where in the U.S., from what I understand, daycare can destroy you. <laughs> um, especially newborn daycare. So kind of to, to relate back to the U.S. a little bit, um, we will have a maternity leave of, you know, eight to 12 weeks if we're lucky. That's a very good one. Um, and it, a lot of times, if you get it that long, it won't be paid. Um, if you have eight to 12 weeks paid in the US, you are like, that's phenomenal. Um, a lot of times you might get a week or two paid and then the rest would be unpaid or you have to cover it in some capacity. And it's very, very expensive to take time off. It's not covered. And furthermore, there's a lot of people who are scared to take too long of a maternity leave because it might mean they lose their job. Um, I hear that a lot. So we don't get long maternity leaves, which means we have to do infant daycare. Infant daycare is super expensive because here in the US, we have rules, and I'm sure it's like this in most countries, saying that per adults watching the kids, there can be only be so many kids. Well, that number changes as they get older. So by the time they're five and they're going to kindergarten, you're allowed to have, you know, 20 to 30 kids in your classroom. But for infants, I it's much lower. You know, maybe right. I, it's only a handful, only a handful, only a few. Um, and so, you know, I've known people who pay for infant daycare and it can be like a thousand dollars a month 
or mm-hmm. more or you know d- less depending on where you live and so daycare is super expensive for us and it makes it really hard because a lot of people you know they value they value spending time with their kid and they're like well is it even worth me going back to work if i have to give up you know half of my salary or whatever um to pay for daycare you know right. it's a- and a lot of people will make the decision of hey i'm not going to go back to work and i'm going to wait until my kid's like a little bit older or in the school system where they're like being monitored for free um, or in the public school system where they're being monitored for free, you know, for four to eight hours a day. And then, yeah, then you have the ability to go back to work and it doesn't cost you like anything for that. Right. So, um, but that's it. That's a huge advantage in other countries. I know, um, you know, in other countries you might have a year or two maternity leave. So it's like very different than a few weeks, um, right. which is, which is awesome. We'll trade you guys. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> I'll take that instantly. Um, well, that, I don't think a year or two is paternity, so I think you're still out of luck. We can talk them into it. <laughs> um, the next point I wanted to mention is college costs. So college in America is very, very, very expensive. College cost in Europe is far cheaper, and depending on where you live, might even be covered. Um, Completely? Yeah. <clears throat> wow. So. Here we're like fighting over scholarships and still have to pay like a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, it's you nailed it. A hundred thousand dollars <laughs> for four years is like you know approaching the cost. I think it's actually like eighty thousand right now, but you know right. uh, it, it's insane. And so what that means is when people graduate, they graduate with a lot of debt. And I think in other countries, um, you graduate and you don't have that same debt. You can just kind of start living your life. And that's not to say that you you know you might still have some debt. I know there's definitely still some that exist, but it's it's not as bad. Um, uh, the next point, so from our travels, we've noticed that food costs uh, for like real whole food, not like hot dogs and pizza rolls, pizza yeah. rolls, um, but for like vegetables, cheese, fruit, meat, etc., it is eggs. It's far lower most of the places we've been in Europe than it is here. Right, and for and for better quality stuff because the regulations for food quality across the EU are much better, in my opinion, than what we have in the U.S. Yeah, we have a ton of government oversight in our food, but it's just not good quality, right? So they're checking a bunch of stuff, making sure it's not poisoning people. But there's no health concerns. There's no quality control around, right? Is your food nutritious in any way, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, is, or even is the packaging saying what it says it is, right? Um, So. Yeah. And I mean, the the big four meat companies here are such lobbyists with our, with our government that they Mm -hmm. control, uh, you know, really too much. Um, And, and so, you know, our meat quality, it, it is, it is what it is, but. Um, I actually took a class about this in college, so it's not just your opinion, but there's actually a lot of backed research that shows that the EU food standards are actually better. Yeah. So it's better quality food at a lower price, and um, it's just not the same subsidies as here that make healthy food so expensive and processed food so cheap. Um, it's kind of the opposite, at least we've noticed, where if you're buying that normal food, just everyday, you know, real food, real yeah. food, real fruits and um, vegetables, real meat, real cheeses. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, much more cost effective anywhere we've gone in Europe. Yeah. At any local market or grocery store or whatever. Yeah. And then when you're buying like cured bacon, it's just like hungry meat. <laughs> we just forever will love. Right. Everything from that, like 
farmer's market in Hungary is amazing. So good. And they sell langosh there. Yeah. Um, the other thing we've noticed in Europe is it's much cheaper travel. Oh, yeah. It's just so much easier to get around. Public transportation systems for, like, trains, right, or mm-hmm. flights or anything is so much more cost-effective to fly around Europe. Or the Polsky bus. Yeah. Because <laughs> we just looked at a flight here to go, like, you know, for a couple states over from where we were. And it was going to be, like, $500 for per per ticket. Right. Um, to go, you know, to go... To another city. From major city to major Majors, city. Majors, yeah. Like, yeah, major in the top 10 cities in the country. Right? right. And so, yeah, just crazy expensive. The prices were never going down. It's not like we were trying to buy at a weird time and just super dumb. It was two and a half times the price of what it is for me to fly from Orlando to Chicago for work right now. Right. And it just doesn't, right, just, just weird pricing yeah, just bad, 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 bad. Yeah, and over there, like, it's not just... So there is, like, Wizz Air and some budget airlines that are more comparable to, like, our Spirit Airlines, which, you know, it is what it is. They're budget airlines. But there's also, like, Aer Lingus, which is amazing, super nice seats, super roomy overhead bins. And we f- flew from Dublin to the UK for, like, 40 bucks a ticket or something. I don't think it was that much. I think it was Maybe like 40 bucks total for both of us. 26 yeah. pounds a ticket or something. I mean, it was just... It was crazy. Um, and then you add in the trains. And, like, we have gone to Europe twice. We've traveled all around. We've gone to big cities, smaller cities. We have never had to rent a car. We've been able to do planes, trains, and buses to get everywhere we need to go, even rural cities in Europe, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty incredible. So, hands down, their their transport system is just incredible. Um, and then, so the last one I wanted to mention, a big difference between the U.S. and the EU is pension programs. So most countries in the EU for retirement, and where I wanted to spend the bulk of this episode is talking about retirement in the, between the, between the countries. So, um, what I mean by that is most the states over there, the reason you pay this higher tax rate is because part of your money every month is going to a pension program to pay you out in retirement. Um, And now a lot of people, especially in America, miss our pension days. They thought pensions were the bee's knees. And it's, I have a very interesting perspective on this because as an actuary who used to work in pension consulting and talking to many other pension consulting actuaries, most pension programs, even the ones in the EU right now, are at risk of being underfunded or basically imploding soon. Sweet. Um, good good structure. Yeah. Somebody thought that one up long term. Yeah. So it's actually really difficult um, to, you know, ensure that your retirement is okay when it's not in your control um, mm-hmm. because you're just like hoping that they don't change the system. And one of the stats that I thought was interesting in the UK right now, their pension program is expected to pay you about pay out about 38% of your income. So that means in retirement, your income is 38% of what it is right now, which right. is really difficult for a lot of people. Right, because a lot of people, they're not planning for that, right? They're looking for like a whole replacement or, or at least or at least closer to 50%. Yeah. Right. Um, 50 to, I, I usually hear targeting 60 to 70% of replacement is where you want to be. Okay. Um, in the EU, I think in America, it's a little bit higher because we... Our tax structure is a little bit different for retirees here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we want to target about 75 to 80% of our 
take home. Um, but actually, Americans, as scary as it is, are more well prepared for retirement than Europeans. We just started this podcast off with me talking about how ill prepared we are for retirement in the US. I know. So this is really scary, right? Um, and people might think, you know, that can't be true. We don't have the magic pensions, but it just shows how awful the pension system is and how it's just really not sustainable. So what's the right answer? Well, the right answer is to save money in on the side, right? And right. I know that's hard for a lot of people. Um, but even in even in the EU, it is possible to invest in mutual funds, which we have talked about a lot on this podcast before. And um, it, it might be a little bit different there. You know, for us, we have it very easy in the US, we can just log on to a slew of different websites or talk to, you know, brokers or, or financial planners and, and get mutual funds. And um, not all U.S. websites will work in the EU, um, but you can, from from talking to different Europeans, what seems to work well is going to an investment broker. Um, instead of just a bank there, banks typically charge more fees for this, but an investment broker can get you hooked up and get you investing. And that means that when you only start getting 38% of your income in retirement, you have this pot of money to help you supplement. Right. Or especially... If you need that pot of money, if you want to retire earlier, then you can withdraw the pension or the 401k in the U.S. or right, any of those other retirement uh, vehicles that only allow you to pull money out once you're like 50 or 60, you know, nine or whatever. Right? 59 and a half. 59 and a half. That's right. Yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, that's really important. And I think another thing in Europe to note is that interest rates among banks there are very low. Ally apparently has not broken into the market over there with our 2.2% interest rate. Um, so that's typically a reason that a lot of people cite for not saving more money because they're like, well, what good does it do? I have nowhere to put this money, um, which really highlights the importance of finding ways to invest in you know mutual funds to make sure you're getting a good return on your money. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's really important to do. And Um, So the other country I wanted to talk about, because we have a lot of listeners there, is Australia. Sweet. So Australia is doing a lot of things right. All right. What are they doing? So they have two different kind of retirement programs that are sponsored by the um, country. And one is called the Super. So what the Super is, is you automatically, when you start working, basically anybody working between the ages of 18 and 70 put 9.25% of your money in essentially a 401k, a Roth 401k, which means it's put in, you know, post taxes, but when you take it out and you can start taking out at age 55 there, okay. it will be tax-free. Okay. Um, so that's kind of a beautiful thing because it's it's doing forced savings. Um, and so, and then the, you know, as a citizen, the, per- the person who, the employee is able to control what funds they're invested in. So it's different than a pension. It's like you see your money, you have full control over your money, but you're just forced to contribute. And I hear that it's going up to 12% by 2020. I was going to say, I was going to say is 9% the right number if you started at 18, right? Depending on what your income is. I, I mean, we're more comfortable having it a little bit higher. 
Yeah. Um, personally. So but. I think, you know, I've looked at this more starting at age 25. So with that extra seven years, um, you know, 10% could be good enough. Um, I know starting at age 25, getting closer to that 15% number is the real sweet spot. Mm-hmm. But I mean, my goodness, if you're from age 18 saving 12%, that's just incredible. And I think that would be good to fully fund your retirement. I really do. Right. Because with that amount of money, you're not going to miss it now necessarily in your income. Um, and you'll be super glad that you have that amount of money when you hit that age. Well, and you know what the key really is? And this was something my math teacher told me. Um, He told me at at some point in my life to start saving out of my very first paycheck because if you never see the money, you never miss it. And so by forcing that, you know, to turn on at age 18, well, that means that like you've never really had a paycheck without it. I mean, maybe if you were working a part-time job at 16 or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, but you're not working full-time yet. So you just, that's just how much money you make and it is what it is and you don't notice it. Um, It's the same thing. Like they take taxes out of my check every week anyway. Right. And you know, that's the way it is. And there's nothing I'm going to do about it. Exactly. Then the real amount of money that I'm making is, you know, that other number. So that's what everything is compared against. So yeah, if, part of my salary was earmarked to go directly into my retirement fund, which we have it set up so that it is, right? Because we chose to get into that model. But even if it was forced to be in that model, I think that's the right, because that's the right choice for everybody. Because we tell everybody, if you have the option to put money into a 401k, you should be doing that. Right. Um, And it's funny you bring that up, Brad, because have you noticed that like 6% of your paycheck goes to Social Security? Uh, yeah, like ever since I started working. Yeah, and it's funny because I would say, so Social Security is like America's pension kind of, which is also, I think most people in the 20 to 30 age range that I've talked to, um, when I talk to them about Social Security, they're not even planning that like they will ever see a penny from it because we just expect that we're going to have to pay out all the baby boomers and then it'll like implode. Right, I have no (laughs) faith that whoever set up that system in the last like 30 years to continue maintaining it knows how to do math without changes yeah Um, i mean there needs to be changes and i will say there are actuaries who work on the social security program the problem is the actuaries aren't allowed to fully do their jobs because it is such a political thing and Mm -hmm. they they're like here's what we need to do to make this sustainable and then you know the government's just like no and they're like (laughs) well you know f you guys because now like this isn't sustainable right they're Um, just they're just fighting against like raw data and math and they're just telling them it's wrong right right Um, so anyways, we have that program and it, it's definitely not enough to live off of. I mean, some people do, um, live off of this. I don't want to downplay poverty in America and low income. I know there are people who live off of this, but in reality, um, you kind of have to work really hard to live off of this. Like the, the median income in America is not going to be replaced by social security alone. Um, Australia has something similar. It's called an age pension. Um, And basically what this means is for those kind of caught in this transition, because Australia used to have a pension program, it basically also imploded like every other pension program. And so they set up this super, um, which is more like a 401k. And then they set up the age pension. And what that means is if your income is below a certain point in retirement, you will get paid out additional money from the government to help cover the gap. Okay, so they're setting, right, they, they've taken the approach of we're going to control the system, right? We're going to make everybody allocate a certain amount of money. And then if you still didn't make the cut, right, so catching everybody else that like fell through the cracks, basically, somehow, they're going to like replace that. 
right. but they covered their risk of like needing to like dump a money, bunch of money into that like we're going to cover these costs kind of area by forcing everybody else to like save correct right? and so actually you know who is most likely to fall through the gaps even though everybody's saving the same amount of money politicians no oh that's right they make all the money <laughs> <laughs> um people who invest conservatively because oh, there's a huh. very high cost associated with low risk investing. Right. And when you're starting at age 18, for those people who are like, well, I'm just going to, you know, pick the safe, you know, 2% return or whatever, they're going to fall short of their peers 100% of the time. Right. The silent killer. Yeah. Uh, you know, thinking you're well invested when you're not. Trying to be too safe, right? There's yeah. a very high cost associated with that. Uh, but I thought that was a really interesting point to make because... As we move to 401k models, um, from a purely math perspective, and people, you can fight me all day on this if you want to, but as we've seen in data, pension systems are not the way to go. And it, a lot of times it's because these funds are mismanaged, benefits are overpromised, um, you know, they companies can't fight the market corrections that happen when they happen, whatever it is, there's all sorts of problems that pensions face, and 401ks are a better system. The the key here is getting people to buy into them and paying people enough that they can afford to give 10% of their money to this system. Um, but when you have control over your money, you have to be really smart about what you do with it. And if you are age 18 and you are not retiring, you can't touch this money until you're 55. There is no reason that you should be doing any low risk investing. I mean, really. Right. If you, it cannot hurt you to go high risk, right? Right. Because the market will always rebound. Unless the whole market implodes, right? If the whole market implodes and never and never rebounds, then we're all screwed together. Then we're all right? going back to hunting and gathering. Right. So. So, but, so you might as well invest now. You might as well play the game. Go high risk investment. You have 50 years for the market to go up and down and up and down and up and down. You don't need to game it. It's going to be way higher when you retire than it is right now. Plus, you're gaining all that compound interest, right? I have a ton of fun facts today, I guess. So um, I was actually just for work recently looking at uh, market returns. Can you guess the longest period in which the market had a negative or flat return? Seven years. Ten. All right. Well, fine. But I mean, like that just goes to show, I think a lot of people, even in their like 30s or 40s, start getting very nervous about their money. And it's like, even if you're in your early 40s, if you're in a 401k plan, the earliest you can touch that is 59 and a half. So you have almost 20 years. Don't put it all in safe money now. Now is not the time. Right. right. And that's from like peak market variability to crash back to that same peak that it dropped right. from, right? So, I mean, you don't even need it to be, like, all the way up. Like, maybe you could have got away with nine years, right? So right. if you had, like, if the, if the worst-case scenario, right, the longest duration, uh, the market crashed the day you were going to retire and you didn't pull any money out before that, then you'd have to, like, work a little bit longer, a few more years, perhaps. Right. Or, you know, take to a loss. To mind the gap. Take, take a loss or whatever, right? But uh, you're not taking all of that money out at the same time anyway, so, right, you're still probably going to be okay in a pretty reasonable scenario. Right. Right. Worst case scenario that's ever happened. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think, like, that that's just really important to remember because, like I mentioned, the biggest risk to your retirement is that you don't invest properly. Mm -hmm. So, 
I know it can be hard to watch your money go up and down. And I know, especially this year, we've in the U.S. here, the S&P 500 has been going up and down and a little bit up and then down again. Right. right? So then don't Um, watch it. And and (laughs) well, and just remember, that's actually good for you because basically from the beginning of the year, we got like a 10 percent sale now or a 5 percent sale. So everything that you're still contributing money to this, right? Every so time, now you're every time the market buying at a lower price, right? Every time the market drops, buy as much as you can, right? No. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think every paycheck, right? Yeah. That's a good way to think about it. Not every time the market drops, but every paycheck you have, invest as much as you can, um, mm-hmm. because that's basically dollar cost averaging, and you're gonna do very well with that strategy. Yep. So. Um, Okay, one more thing I wanted to mention really quickly about investing in the EU is that tax rates on dividends are higher there. So it's actually important when you are looking at funds to buy, and this is something that your broker can definitely answer questions and help you with, but to buy funds that have lower dividends and basically the companies reinvest the dividends before they're paid out to you. So when there is a dividend, instead of paying it out to you and saying, hey, you get $50, they say, we're gonna take that $50 and we're going to reinvest in the company and you know grow our business. And that means that the stock price will go up but you're, you don't have to pay taxes on that dividend right away. And then you can wait until you, you know, want that money to withdraw the money. Right. So, so less penalties on taking your capital gains, which is buying the stock low, selling it when it's higher, right? That's your capital gains is the mm-hmm. difference there. And then the dividends are the annual payouts when they have their performance review, right? Right. Um, they decide, yeah, they decide to pay out their stockholders and you're saying don't take the dividends if you're in the eu because they're penalized stronger than the capital gains are correct that is what my research indicated interesting all right um well yeah if they're gonna they're gonna try and game the system then you have to game the system right back yeah so something good to keep in mind um so kind of to wrap this episode up and we did go a little long but i think you could tell that we were very excited to finally get to this topic that we have talked about doing for a lot of years um but to yeah to wrap this up basically we kind of started this with is early retirement possible in other countries and i think it totally is um it's just different it looks a little different it might be harder to save as much money but you also have the benefits of maybe having lower expenses because you don't have health care um that's that's the big one right there (laughs) right so yeah you don't need as much money in your long-term retirement you're for like in Australia's case, your retirement is being fully funded. So you don't have to worry about basically anything after 55. So then what you need to do to plan for your early retirement is to plan for whenever you retire to get to 55. Right. So that's the money. That's just the barrier that you need to save for. So and obviously you want to make sure that um, your benefits kicking on at 55 or 60, 65, whenever they kick on are adequate for you. Um, you want to make sure you know you have access to that information. In the UK, if you're only getting 38% of your income, perhaps that's not enough for you. So you need to save a little bit extra. Um, there are other countries. I think Germany's pension was paying out closer to that in that 60% range. For um, now. For now. Uh, which I think that one's also going to implode soon, but for now. Um, and so, you know, perhaps that 60% is good enough. And then like Brett said, you just have to kind of m- make up the difference until you get to that point. Um, and it seems like, honestly, if somebody asked me, who do you think is doing who, which out of these three, Europe, US, and Australia, who has the best retirement system? And I know I'm lumping you 
all of Europe together here, and there's a lot of countries in the EU, and they're all slightly different, some better, some worse, but just for the sake of argument, I would actually give the award to Australia, because I think Australia is combining the two systems in a really good way, and by forcing people to save, you're ensuring that nobody's getting left behind or falling through the cracks. Because here in America, even though our numbers might look good at the median income, I think we have a lot of people... I think 33% of people don't even have access to a 401k in America. So Mm -hmm. we have a lot of people falling through the cracks here. And by setting up that kind of four savings, you're ensuring that everybody's catching the retirement boat, which is really important. Right. And they own their own money, right? So the government can't go like reallocate those funds to some other program. That's the biggest problem with Social Security in the United States is that the people don't own that money. The government owns that money and decides where it goes and when it goes there. Right. right? And the government is not known for being good with financing. So that, those are not the people that should be controlling the system. Yeah. but Putting, I, Yeah, giving the retirement funds to the individuals is the, is the path to success. We agree personally funding yourself is the right strategy, but then having the system to fall back on for anybody that has hard times or right, they don't want to... Or wanna, fall through. Yeah, fall through the cracks, yeah. then that, that's this is a really good model. So A plus Australia, I think you're doing some really cool things here. I know this is actually a newer program um, because, like I said, they had a pension program that imploded. So I'm really excited to see how this continues working for them. And I think it's something that a lot of countries could model it after. Um, I know it's, again, a debate. A lot of people love their pensions, but the data really supports that a 401k style is the right strategy. And I think the forced savings is a really good idea. So um, if you live in any of these countries and we said anything wrong, uh, please correct me. I did as much research as I could, but obviously everything I read online might not be perfect. Um, And if you... You know, if you live in Australia and you hate this system or it's really bad for some reason, uh, let me know. And I'd be interested to hear what your take is on it. I know we actually have a decent population of Australia listeners, so I would love to hear from you on that. Cool. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Money in the Bank. Make sure to subscribe to us on the iTunes or Stitcher app so that you get weekly alerts every time we post a podcast. Or if you want, you can visit my website, moneyinthebankpodcast.com. And if you want to reach out with any questions or further comments, please email me at angie at moneyinthebankpodcast.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Money in the Bank.